Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Drumforge. Drumforge is a forward-thinking developer of audio tools and software for musicians and producers alike. Founded on the idea that great drum sounds should be obtainable for everyone, we focus on your originality. Drumforge, it's your sound. And now your host, A.L. Levy. All right, welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy. With me is Matt Halpern. And uh, you should know who he is. In case you don't, I'm going to give him a brief introduction. He's the drummer from the band Periphery, but he's so much more than just a drummer in an awesome band. He's uh, one of the world's leading drum clinicians, an entrepreneur. He's behind projects that exist now, have existed. He's always doing something. If you remember the site Band Happy, that was his. Now he's got the Entertainment Institute, uh, started a drum sample company like Get Good Drums. He's a dog lover, which... Uh, Already makes me like him. And uh, he's just always got something going on. One of those people who understands how the music industry works in 2017 and uses that to uh, to thrive. And I've admired you for a long time. I know we have a lot of mutual friends, but have never really uh, connected. So I'm happy to finally be talking to you because you're one of those people that, uh, music aside, I just follow because... Because uh, I, I look up to people like you guys who can always do something and have it be successful and are always trying new things and not afraid to fail. And, you know, if something goes wrong, pick yourself right up and uh, on to the next project. And you've got a series of good successes behind you. And you're just, uh, you know, you're just someone who's doing it right. And uh, thanks for coming on. Well, and how man. are you doing? That was great. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm sitting over here blushing now. You painted, oh, you painted such a great picture of me. <laughs> and I sent you some heart emojis, too. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Um, you know, you mentioned that we, we have mutual friends, that we are in you know this very small community that you and I have actually exchanged messages about, I think, a couple times, yep. just about how strong the community is, that it's great to be able to uh, to have everybody helping one another for the bigger picture. Um, so, you know, the mutual respect is, is there for you Thank as you. well, man. So, um, thanks for having me on. This is, this is very cool. It's a pleasure. And, uh, if anyone's wondering what community he's talking about, we've, we've talked about how there's a, a small community in music of people that, uh, have kind of understood what th- Maybe not, maybe not exactly what the future brings, because no, none of us are psychic. But who are un- understand where this game is headed, and see the tsunami coming, um, and have been doing everything to to be able to float on that tsunami while still doing things that we're passionate about and bringing goodness to you know the masses so uh there aren't that many people who realize it what's going on and that's why i think a lot of the music industry is in trouble um maybe beyond repair so i'm wondering uh what your thoughts on that just on a very general sense where you see i'm just going to say things and i'm you're going to say what i mean by things like where do you see things going in the most general sense right now in the next five years I I think it's good the the music business is gonna become even more DIY on every level and I think that's exciting personally I you know, love it's, it. already, it's, it's already been DIY for a long time 
Um, but there's more and more people that are pulling the plug on the support that they have. There's more and more people that are taking risks to do things themselves. And it's just like anything else. I mean, it's just like any other, I think, you know, major business these days with the advent of all of this audio video at your fingertips, people are realizing that there isn't just one way to do things and that there isn't a cookie cutter approach anymore. And in fact, you're probably better off figuring out how you are unique and how your music is unique and how whatever you're offering is unique and then crushing it down that path instead of just like waiting for other people to tell you what to do, which is kind of how the industry has changed. I think if you look at like, you know, just my limited time on this earth from the eighties to now, you know, in the eighties, there were rock stars, like huge rock stars, guys that are still rock stars today because of that time period. You know, you could sell millions of records and make millions of dollars just by being in a band and making a good album. Um, Let me stop you real quick. Just uh, for people who might be younger. If you don't, you don't know what rock stars are. If you didn't exist in that time, think of the most famous MMA stars, or the most famous, famous like movie stars you can imagine, or the Kardashians. So people like that that everybody knows about, that everybody cares about every little thing that they're doing. Everybody from your parents to your grandparents to third graders, and that's the level that rock stars were on. Oh, they yeah. don't exist on that level anymore, especially in heavy music. You know, yeah. like if you if you look at Metallica in like the early '90s and late '80s, I mean, those guys were gods. If you you look at even like the grunge era, those guys were still rock stars, man. Like Kurt Cobain, um, Chris Cornell. You know, both of those guys sadly aren't here, but they were. I mean. They were at the yeah. top of what what that could be for anyone famous across any medium. Um, so, I mean, you know, back then I think there was a way of doing things and the business worked because there wasn't the technology that allowed music to be in people's hands in an instant, you know, or in their ears in an instant. Um, and nowadays, because of that, it's like, why would I go through, you know, 10 middlemen and, you know, give my cash to 20 people that, you know, are, are commissioning me when I've done all the hard work. And at the same time, I can just deliver my art directly to the people that are my end user. You know what I mean? Like that's what it is now. It went from needing all these channels to now you, you are literally one degree of separation away from everyone who could ever listen to your music. So I, I think it's really exciting because of that, you know? And I think it's important to say that um, one of the main reasons for that is very, very simple, and it's how the listeners consume music. In those days, uh, the listener was basically held hostage by the mediums that they had available to them. So if there's a record store where they had to buy records, there's only a physical finite amount of space for records to fit in there. So that already created gatekeepers um, that you had to get past if you wanted to get your music to the masses. They listened to radio. There's a finite amount of time and a finite amount of stations in any market. So, again, had to pass through gatekeepers. Now, you yourself can easily get your music onto the same uh, distribution platforms or listening platforms that everybody listens on. 
there's uh, there's nothing standing in your way. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's definitely amazing. It's inspiring. You know, it's just more, it's more opportunities to work for yourself. And I, you know, I respect anybody who doesn't really like that kind of responsibility. That's cool that they know themselves like that. But for me and for a lot of the people that I surround myself with, yourself included, Al, um, you know, we don't really want to have bosses. We want to make our own destiny and having the ability to access those distribution channels for whatever kind of thing that we're working on, even this podcast, for example, um, is, is pretty amazing. So I don't know. I just, I'm incredibly inspired by what we have at our fingertips. And as you said, I'm always trying to see how I can utilize these mediums and these opportunities to uh, usually in some way or another roundabout way, help other people whether it's through music or through the projects that, that I'm a part of. That's always the goal, you know? So uh, was was that something that you always wanted to do? Did you always have an affinity towards, like, say, teaching or uh, doing something instructional for others, or did that just kind of naturally happen? Because I'll tell you, I didn't. It just kind of happened one day because our mutual friend Finn invited me on Creative Live, and I begrudgingly went. I was like, why am I, I don't want to do this shit, but I did it for him. I went and changed my life. I loved it. Yeah. And it's, but like, you, you've been doing this sort of thing for a while. Yeah, I started teaching when I was probably 16 years old when I first got my driver's license. I, uh, I you know, again, I didn't really like uh, being a cashier at a deli. I didn't really like working at the retail store in the mall. I wanted to, play drums and I wanted to figure out ways to make money playing drums. So I just started teaching some family friends when I was 16 years old. And then I realized I really enjoyed it. I had always had private instructors coming up. They were always the, the most inspiring mentors for drumming that I had, you know, like the, the times that I spent with my private teachers really helped me to make huge strides towards, uh, towards my goals. So I wanted to really, be that person for other people. And I realized that I enjoyed it. And I realized that I had, um, this really kind of insatiable, uh, want to help people kind of overcome their challenges. Cause that's what I like about teaching. Uh, I like, I like the, the chance to be able to sit down with someone who learns a very specific way, who understands thing in a way, maybe or understands things in a way, you know, very different than I do. And it's my job to like crack that code, figure out how they learn, what they're trying to understand, what they're trying to do with it. And then what's the solution to get there. And I don't know, since I was 16, I've just loved doing that. And I like doing it with drumming because at, at the center of everything I do that, you know, I think drumming is, is there drumming is at the core, you know? So, so it's, well, it's great. The, the, the way that you just described your passion for teaching people things, you know, there's very, there's a lot of ways that that could manifest. Like you could have gone to school to become a professor sure. and done that or just taught privately forever. How does that passion that you have for it translate into things like Band Happy or the Entertainment Institute, like, or the clinics? How does it translate into you saying, I want to do this to help people, but 
let's uh let's make a business out of it let's do this for real like on a grander scale because i know a lot of people who have that passion and they're happy just doing private lessons only yeah that's a great question well i i think at at the core of that again is is drumming and before i ever really wanted to have my own business or uh you know have something like band happy i wanted to be a drummer i wanted to be a rock star my whole life i mean again i grew up in the 80s what i saw were the guys that you were describing i mean i was just so enamored with the the opportunity and like that lifestyle and like oh my god like i just want to go play shows in front of huge audiences and be a performer on stage that was at the core of everything i wanted to do and it was definitely my main goal and that's what i started with in in reality you know when i think of how i built band happy or how i got involved in any of these other projects there was a plan in place once I realized that I needed to do it the way I did it. So let me explain what I mean by that. Like, I knew I wanted to be in a band. I knew that uh, I wanted to perform. I wanted to, you know, have the ability to use drumming as my main vehicle for whatever I was doing. And I had some ideas of some things I wanted to do because I saw some challenges. And let's just take like the music lesson stuff for a second. A lot of people, you're right, do private lessons at home. But that wasn't really an opportunity that I could rely on because I knew that I wanted to go away. I wanted to go on tour. And being on tour means that I can't have a consistent roster of students at home. So rather than throw my hands up and say, well, fuck it, you know, I guess I'm not going to teach, I just looked at what are my other options. Well, at the time, my two other options were I could teach on tour. And I could try to, you know, figure out an hour a day at the venue in whatever city I'm in to do a lesson there. And then I thought to myself, too, it's like, well, maybe I can use Skype to teach my students at home while I'm on tour if I have a day off. Or maybe when I get home from touring, if I've had a chance to teach a lot of different drummers in in different cities, maybe I can bring them back home with me through video chat and then I'll have a roster year round. So it was more just like problem solving, you know? And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't really looking at it like, okay, I'm gonna create this bigger business than what I wanted. I, I kind of gravitated towards that as I saw that there was potential, um, but initially it was just to scratch my own itch. Like I wanted to be in a band, selfishly didn't wanna stay home and just teach. So I had to figure out a way to go on tour but still be able to make a living through the, th- the other thing that I really loved, which was, and, and love, which is teaching. And look, I mean, it goes without saying that I was motivated to do this because I was very aware that being in a band is not necessarily the most lucrative job. Um, it's very, very hard to make money, if at all, in metal, and I'm in a metal band. Yeah. So I had to, I, I really had to, you know, look at, performing and going out in the band as a platform that gave me the opportunity to do more things and create more things that I could do to supplement my time and my income so I could be in a band, if that makes sense, in a a roundabout way. I feel like that is one of the key things that people need to look at as a model these days anyways, is to look at uh, what used to be the sole income source, like a band, uh, look at it like the commercial for everything you do. Yeah, to put it to put it that way. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's not to say that you can't 
make a living being in a band, it just takes a really long time. And, you know, Periphery is in the past year or so just starting to see a little bit of improvement in that area as we have more records out and we are slowly growing in the touring markets and we're, we're getting quote unquote bigger, um, over time, we're seeing that it is possible, but I mean, it's almost been 10 years so far and we've been putting in so much work. It's like, if I relied on just the band for these past 10 years to, to, you know, to pay me, man, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that would have been possible. So it really wasn't a choice, but eventually you get addicted to it. As you said, I like taking risks. I, I like the opportunity to fail because there's always a um, there's always something to learn from that. And I think just because I've I've now taken so many risks, I'm not as scared to try something new, especially if it really if I can check all the boxes on it, you know. And those boxes are: does it solve a problem for me? Is it something I'm passionate about? Can it help others? And can I get other people that I work with to get behind it? Because one of the things I get asked about a lot is like, man, you know, how do you do so much? You know, how do you do all these things? How do you juggle all these things? And I'd like to take credit for all of it, but I can't because I have amazing partners in almost every project that I work on. And I just focus on the things that I do and my strengths. And then I'm very, very comfortable with stepping back and letting my other partners handle the things that they do. And that's how I can afford to do so many things. But I don't really jump into things without having the support of certain people that I trust uh, to go along with me on whatever endeavor it may be, you know? That's funny. I, I'm the exact same way. I don't lone wolf anything. Um, I, I am a product of a good team always on the various things I do because I know that if it's left up to me, it's going to fall apart because... Um, just because it is. So I try to surround myself with people that I think are amazing and I try to get them behind it before uh, before I do anything else. But do you mind if we talk about failure for a second? Of course, yeah, um, not at all. Because you, you touched on that. And, um, and, I, and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think that a lot of our listeners who are maybe earlier in their path uh, are afraid of failure. They're, and I, I get a lot of emails from people that are kind of procrastinating taking, you know, the risk of starting this or uh, of submitting that mix or whatever it might be. They're, they're afraid to take that step. And whether they know it or not, it's obviously because they're afraid of failure. But um, you and I both have... Uh, you know, have had things in our lives that don't exist anymore. Sure. Um, and uh, we're better for it now. And so I want to know how you, like what kind of tools you've developed for dealing with things ending and how you frame quote unquote failure so that, and how you learn to, like, is it something that uh, when you were younger, you took a lot harder or you had to train yourself to, to be able to make it a positive thing or I'm just, I'm just curious yeah, really, I, where I your know, thoughts are with that. It's a, it's a really, it's a really interesting subject to dig into because it prevents a lot of people from achieving some pretty potentially amazing things. I, um, 
You know, my grandfather from, from I guess I don't know. I got to think about when this was, but it was basically as I was diving into starting this crazy teaching business called Band Happy. I met with my grandfather quite a bit, who was a really, really successful businessman and had built a lot of really cool companies and was in real estate and just was, he was the man. He was great. So Mm -hmm. the first thing he says to me is like, I just want you to know something. He's like, failure should be expected and it is the best learning experience you'll ever go through to fail at something. And if you fall down, you pick yourself right back up. And then he proceeded to tell me that when adults fall down, they worry about things like embarrassment. They worry about things like what's what are people going to say? Are people going to laugh at me? Are they going to you know think less of me? Are they going to talk shit about me? Are they going to take advantage of me? And then he was like, but when you're a baby and you fall down... You only cry if other people make a big deal out of it, right? But to, like, you don't have the self-awareness to care about what people think of you if you're walking and you fall on your ass. You just get back yeah. up and you kind of you just keep walking and then you fall again and then you get back up and you keep walking. And he was just like, anytime that that you know you you've done everything you can possibly do to stay on your feet, but you still fall, just remember the baby, and it'll make everything okay. You know, because with a baby, like you fall, you get back up, you fall, you get back up and then you grow and you keep growing and you keep progressing and then you turn into an adult one day. And and that's like the, I mean, hopefully that in and of itself sort of describes what failure is. Absolutely. It's the, but the thing is, the thing that people are afraid of, I think it's not falling down. It's not the failing. It's exactly what my grandfather was saying. It's what is everybody else going to think of me? Especially, yeah, I think you're right, actually. You know, like when you put something out there into the world, it's real. People can touch it. They can see it. They can form their opinions about it. Um, And these days, the people that that's the founders, the people that start something, I think really need to put themselves out there alongside their creations. Because as we discussed earlier in this episode, um, we're in touch with our, our end user. And we need to be honest with them and we need to be open with them and we need to communicate with them. So now even more so than ever, if you fail, it's a public thing. And people just, people can be really mean. People can be brutal. We see it all the time when, you know, when, when a musician puts up a drum cover and somebody's like, oh, they suck. Or, you know, one of my guitar players puts out a video and they don't, they, they don't want to say anything about the guitar playing, but they say, oh, look at how big his nose is. Like, you know what I mean? It's like people yeah. find anything <laughs> to talk shit on. Um, and God forbid you put something out there that then tanks or fails. I mean, it's like, oh my God, look at this failure. Oh my God. And like earlier this week, the uh, the CEO of Uber left Uber, right? I don't know if he was canned or if he was if he left, but that could be looked at as a failure. At the same time, it's also really really publicized, and you know what? It lasted in the media. I mean, really, like what forty eight hours? Now everybody's on to something else. Anyway, point is, I think if you're really really afraid of the public's view of your failure then you need to really figure out a, a way to get over that. And it's, you know, it's very easy to say, 
oh, fuck all those people, you know, don't let it bother you. That's, you know, it's easier said than done. You can lie to yourself and pretend like it doesn't affect you, but uh, we are human. Sure, but but then again, I think it's all about setting expectations. Now, this isn't to say that you should go into new projects with a grain of salt, because if you're truly passionate about something, if you're starting anything that that is going to be in the public eye, you should really do it correctly. You should put everything into it. You should be confident. There should be no hope of failure, but there has to be this reality that kind of just, you don't know where it's going to go. You can plan as much as you want. You can, you can do your best to stick to the plans. And a lot of times that is what really works the best is setting these small little milestones that allow you to, to achieve one small thing, then another thing, then another thing. And there's less chance of, of failure that way because you're really in control of every step to the best of your ability. And then it's just simply a decision. However, you have to, I think, Uh, set an expectation. So when I create a new project or I'm starting something new, the first thing that I do is say, hey, listen, I'm really passionate about this, but we're trying something, okay? This is an experiment, basically. Um, So I'm starting uh, pretty soon, I'm I'm launching this fitness program with my trainer. I know that sounds ridiculous. I'm a drummer. I'm not even like a, you know, a a fitness guy traditionally. Doesn't sound ridiculous. Sounds great. It's it's very cool. So um, I'm starting this fitness thing and you know I've shot these videos of myself working out with my trainer, which by the way, that's enough right there to have to worry about people making fun of me. But I don't care. I'm, I'm going with it. And I think it'll give people a good chuckle to see me like breathing heavy and doing push-ups. It probably looks like the way I do when I play drums, just now I'm exercising. Um, <laughs> but uh but but look, I mean I don't know exactly where it's going to go. I have a very clear plan in place. I have a very clear strategy and I'm going to put everything I can into doing this the most professional, best way that I can. But I'm also going to let the people that are following this or the people that follow me know that, look, here's something I'm passionate about, but I'm trying it. I'm going to see where this goes. My goal with it genuinely is to help people. So if I can put something out with the goal of helping people and let them know that it's a test and that we're going to see how it goes, then failure isn't so much a big deal anymore because now everyone is essentially invested in either helping this thing grow or at least seeing it take shape in some way or another. And people are more supportive when they feel like they're involved from the beginning. So I think for those people that are afraid to put themselves out there because you're, you're, you know, you may fail, I think start including people before you even put something out there and let them know what you're doing and why and how it affects other people and what's your goal behind it. If I was putting things out there to selfishly gain from things, and I was putting things out there for my own benefit, then people probably wouldn't want to support me. But when there is a good motivation behind it, which I strongly believe, as I said before, anything worth doing from an entrepreneurial standpoint needs to have some angle to it that allows the product or the service or whatever it is to help other people. Like that, that is a winning business because of what I'm describing. People can, Absolutely. They can get on board with it because it is greater for the greater good. It's it's better for, for everyone. So hopefully that answers the question. I think of failure as something that we all are going to go through in some way or another. We're all going to be let down. We're all going to fall down. And again, think of yourself as the baby that just falls and gets back up and then just laughs it off and keeps doing something else. But if you're worried about 
what people are going to think of you, mitigate that initially by explaining to people the reason why behind what you're doing and be open and honest using all of the different you know outlets that we have. And I think people would probably find way more support and way way more good people than they probably suspect or have built up in their minds. I also think it's important to, it's hard to realize, because I think of the way that our brain is wired, but it's important to at least understand so that you can remind yourself of this when the sub, when the situation arises that we're keyed in to the negative just so if 99 people are singing praises and are paying customers, the one person that makes fun of you is going to be the person that we're going to pay attention to. Oh, yeah. For some weird reason, um, even though he's completely outnumbered and, uh, you know, out everything, we're going to pay attention to that one person and give them more real estate in our brain than the 99 people who are supporting us. And I think that that's kind of our natural default, at least for a lot of people, that's kind of the default setting. Yeah. Um, And I think it's important to realize that uh, so that you can take active conscious steps to deal with it because it's... uh, it makes no sense, and you should not give the tiny minority uh, of negative people the majority of the real estate in your head when you're trying to do something new. I agree. I agree. There's There are great things you can do, though. I mean, one is, so it's funny, I, certain things that I put out there, I don't even look at the comments because I just, I, whatever. I, if I don't look at it, then it doesn't affect me. And there's yep. certain things I put out that don't really require research or analytics or engagement, right? There's certain things you can just put out there and whatever. Like, I don't know. When I think about putting out a drum cover, for example, I don't care if someone thinks I make stupid faces. I don't care if someone thinks that <laughs> I didn't play it perfectly to the record. Like, I, it's just, I don't care about that kind of stuff. So I don't even read it, stuff like that. But when it comes to my businesses, when it comes to things that I need feedback on, I approach it from a much more engaged standpoint and I try to, again, I try to explain why I'm putting something out there. Um, And I think the more of the why you can give, the more human it becomes and the less likely you are to get hecklers and people that are just going to throw shit at you for no reason. You know, I think that if people can see the why, it kind of humanizes you a little bit, you know, it makes it easier to, to avoid shit like that. And then if you do have someone who just like <clears throat> comes in and says something that's totally off base, if one person says something ridiculous and 10 people are part of a really productive conversation, it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute, like I'm not going to give this energy or attention at all because it's actually kind of ridiculous and doesn't make any sense, you know? I don't know if that hopefully that hopefully what I just said it, makes sense. Uh, <laughs> it did it did make sense. So now on a different topic, are you a, a time management type of person? Meaning, uh, uh, like, do you subscribe to any of the, maybe like the get things done system? Or do you have any any sort of system of thinking about time? Or uh, are you what Finn calls a sprinter? Which is, <laughs> which is more like what I am. Uh, 
which I'm trying not to be, but like, how do you how do you approach your time, like in a very in a, in a technical way, in order to be able to do the things you do? I I'm definitely I don't use time management uh, programs or anything like that. I'm definitely what Finn would refer to as a sprinter. Um, you know, I've, I've actually started being very, very, very kind to myself and not, I haven't been giving myself a hard time if, if every day isn't exactly the same in terms of a schedule. Um, I used to be very, very tough on myself. I would wake up every day really early. I would try to be working with the rest of the world during business hours. I would want to be available at certain times. And more often than not, I found myself procrastinating more that way than I do if I really work when I'm inspired. Now, one of the things I do is I kind of keep a log of all of the the, the projects and, and things that I have to do, right? I, I know what's on my plate. I know what things I need to get done. Um, so I have this list so that if I ever, you know, I should, re, I should rephrase, at any given part of the day when I truly am inspired to work, there's a ton of things that I can do. And I'm I prioritize. I know what deadlines are coming. I know what what takes precedence certain days over others. I'll even work on multiple different things on certain days, um, you know, rather than just working on one project on Monday, one project on Tuesday. But I find that I do better when I work in these very inspired sprints, and I actually build my days around those sprints. So I do things for myself every day to That's fascinating actually. I I want to hear about this. Well, I just I, I just try to like do things that I know make me happy every day and things that I enjoy so that I'm constantly in this state of calm. I'm constantly in this state of um satisfaction in a way with, with like what I'm doing so that inspiration comes faster. Inspiration is never going to show up when you're worried about what you're doing and when you're giving yourself a hard time all the time. And when you're, you know, you're holding yourself to these ridiculous standards that society sets, but in reality, it's not real. So I started saying, you know what, like tomorrow morning, maybe I'm going to sleep in and I'm not even going to worry about it. Like I went to bed really late. I'm going to sleep in. Who cares if I'm awake at 7 a.m. and I wake up to 20 text messages and 40 emails? I'll get to them. People can wait. You know, if I want to wake up in the morning and I, I want to exercise first because I'm feeling inspired to exercise, I'm going to do it. It doesn't always have to be at four. If I wake up and say, you know what, man, fuck, like I don't really feel like doing work today. I know I got to get these couple little things done, but overall I want to go on a hike or I want to go on a food tour or I want to whatever. It's like, I'm not going to be hard on myself. And at the same time, by giving myself these things that make me happy and that make me feel productive in other ways, like I'm never just sitting around. I never even turn on the TV. That's one thing to be clear about. Like I rarely watch television. I rarely watch shows, especially during the day. During the day, it's like I'm either working on my computer or I'm out doing something physically with people or with my dog or I'm interacting, I'm doing something. I'm always active. Yeah. yeah you so know? your ver- so your version of, uh, uh, I think it's good to be clear about that. Cause I think for a lot of people they'll be like, Oh, so work when you're inspired. I'll just Netflix the rest of the time. And so you're, you're actually leading a life where, you're kind of setting the stage for inspiration to occur. Correct. That's exactly it. But I also, again, I do things that are productive in some other way, which is doing 
doing activities throughout the day that aren't necessarily work related, but that are productive for myself or for the, for those that are important to me makes me still feel like I'm accomplishing something, which is very important because I don't like to feel lazy and I don't like to just sit around and not know what to do with my work. But again, waking up and going on a hike, that's amazing for myself. I'm exercising. I'm doing something great for my dog. Like it's a positive experience in my life and I'm not just sitting on my ass and I feel good that I get to do that every day. Right. Um, if I want to go hang out with a friend who's in town, most of my friends, um, like the other night, my buddy Morgan Rose from the band seven dust, who it's crazy to even call my buddy. Cause I fucking love that band and I've loved Morgan forever, but it's they like are great. getting a chance to just go and like carve out an hour to have a conversation with him, no matter what we talk about was just great for both of us. I could have said, nope, no friends going to stay home and just grind away on this thing over and over and over. Or I could say, no, I'm going to go take advantage of the opportunity to go like interact with someone and, and hear about their life and see what they're doing and maybe get some inspiration from, from that. And it did like the conversation I had with Morgan led to, uh, some really cool possibilities with he and I, you know, we both play Evans drum heads. So given that we share a sponsor, there's, some really cool stuff that we could do together. And that conversation, although it was based in just hanging out with a friend could be something that leads to all sorts of great benefits. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, to go back to what you said, yes, I do my best to every day, set myself up for inspiration. I know that every day I'm going to work on my projects and I'm going to work hard at them. I just don't know what time every day I'm going to do it. And I really go with my gut in terms of deciding when I'm going to put in that work. I don't look at the day as these are the hours that I work and these are the hours that I don't. I don't even look at it like a 24-hour day. It's just there's hours that I'm working and there's hours that I'm not. I'm a human being. Certain times I'm going to eat. Certain times I'm going to shit. Certain times I'm going to work. Certain times I'm going to go on a hike. I just, you know... The more I allow myself to be in that state of sort of fluidity, I find the more productive and the less restricted I am. Now, I'm wondering if that would have worked for you, like, say, when you were more... I guess more establishing yourself. than You're a pretty established dude now. I mean, obviously, you probably have goals that you don't feel established about that you're far off from like we all do but you know you're you're an established guy now um been at it for quite a while and uh do you think that in the more formative years that this would have worked for you or do you think that the more rigid approach fits better for the formative years. The formative years were just different circumstances because I had certain things that I still needed to do at specific times. Like I wasn't fully capable of making my own schedule during those formative years. Like I used to wait tables, I used to bartend, um I was a real estate agent for, you know, for certain times throughout this this time period of establishing myself. Um you know, I was in school for part of it. So I had things that like took precedence and had set times where I needed to be present somewhere that, that took up that stuff. So I had to be a little bit more regimented, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that to anybody who's starting off, 
doing their own thing unless they come from a very lucky background or they've made you know uh, some some money for themselves so they can afford to just do their own thing and they don't need to bring in cash flow every day or every week then shit you know that's fucking awesome but for for most of us we have to hustle and the hustle doesn't always allow you to be as fluid as i am now i'm still hustling but i'm able to make the hustle happened completely on my own terms. And that is different than what it was before. But again, not by my own decision, but by my own choice. It was just because I needed to do other things to pay the bills. And those things took place at a certain time. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a great distinction. So it was more just a product of circumstance. Now, so the inspirations that you get now, or the productivity that you have now, now that it's more lifestyle by design rather than lifestyle by, I guess, externally imposed situation. Uh, do you find your inspiration to be stronger? Do you find your output to be more focused? Like, do you feel like you're doing better work? Yes. And it's interesting. I feel like I'm even doing more work now, but it's because. And this is, this is something I didn't really mention when I was describing it before because I wanted to paint the, the difference and, and create a distinction between the things that I do for myself that are work-related and, and are not. However, to be honest, most of the things that I do for myself that are considered to be quote-unquote leisure, they actually are work. So I, I, I've realized that for myself what is most important to me is to is to create opportunities and to build businesses around my natural passions. So I love playing drums and I look at drumming and I say, okay, well, I'm in a band. That's one way to capitalize on that, right? I continue to do my best and, and bust my ass to be in a band. Then I look at drums and I say, okay, I can teach when I tour. I can do clinics. I can do all these things that, that involve drumming. I can help cr to create products like snare drums and drumsticks and stuff like this, right? I can do all this stuff that like centers around drumming. And even though it's work, if I spend my time on something like that, it's fun work because it's something I love to do. So going and practicing my drums or playing my drums isn't like hard, hard work. It's fun. And the product of it is that I improve or that I get better at something that will eventually... Uh, either help other people or and and or simultaneously put dollars in my pocket, right? When I look at this fitness thing that I'm talking about, I work out every day. I really enjoy exercising because I like how it makes me feel physically. I know how good it can make other people feel. So the fact that I get to work on a project now that's fitness-based and I get to shoot videos and exercise at the same time is fun. And it's, it's like all one and the same. When I go to work out every day and I'm not on camera, I'm thinking it as rehearsal for when I am on camera for this new endeavor. Um, when I, you know, when I get to do anything GGD related and, and for those listening, get good drums or GGD is, is the drum sample company that I have. I mean, I get to spend hours a day talking to three of my best friends who are Adam Get Good from my band Periphery, Misha from Periphery, and uh, Dez from the band uh, Good Tiger, and Finn oftentimes as well, our very good friend Finn. I get to spend time talking to my friends, solving problems, and 
recording drum sounds and listening to demos and music that these guys create that eventually puts a drum sample in the hands of an end user and again gives them a really good experience and puts dollars in in our bank account like i just i don't do anything that i don't like to do so productivity is actually a part of my leisure and vice versa it's just all fun and i enjoy it i even look at like this podcast it's, it wasn't like i was like oh man like i have to go be serious and be you know productive and talk for 2 hours it's like fuck yeah like I love doing this stuff. This is fun. This like, is the stuff I love talking about. It, let me real quick. Let me interrupt. Yeah. M- most of the people that Matt just mentioned for you guys listening have been on this podcast. So uh, look up Adam Nolly Get Good episode or Misha Mansoor episode or the Finn McKenty episode. Uh, they're actually some of our best episodes. Um, for those of you who are Nail the Mix subscribers, if you go to your bonuses section, we also have a uh, $20 off on Get Good Drums coupon. So um, you should look into that. So back to what we were talking about. It's very interesting that you say this. And it's something that I've been trying to define in myself for a while. And lately I've kind of actually define it and come to terms with it because I realize that not everyone's like this, but this to me, this kind of stuff is what I enjoy doing. So while a lot of people have hobbies that are like completely separate from their work, to me, creating projects, getting things going, making deals, talking about how the future is going to be, making it a better future helping people out, like all that stuff, all the stuff that goes into um, creating businesses or creating productive situations and all that, that's actually what I enjoy doing. Um, And so I'm always looking for that kind of opportunity for, you know, with uh, like you're talking about hanging out with Morgan Rose. So yes, you were hanging out as friends, but your brain was immediately going to opportunity. And uh, I do the same thing. And it's because I just get off on this kind of stuff. I love it. It's uh, it's the way I'm wired. And I, I just think it's uh, it's so cool that you recognize that about yourself. I think, uh, I think it makes it easy to do work because it's not really work. Um, now, I got to say that I feel like I'm pretty blessed that I'm this way because I've only had one or two real jobs in the real world, and I absolutely failed at those. So miserable. (laughs) So I'm I'm really lucky that my natural inclination or my autopilot is to do productive things and to try to create productive or uh, profitable situations because otherwise, man, I'd be fucked. The real world is not a place for me. I hear you. Um, yeah. It, so, did you always know that uh, that this is kind of what your autopilot is to create productive situations and to always be trying to move forward? Like, were you always aware of that, or is it just something that you did and then you figured it out at one point? To be honest, I spent a lot of time many years ago waiting on other people, you know, waiting on other people to do things that open doors for me or getting involved with people that required me to just kind of 
have to step back and let them do some work before I could get a chance to do something. I hated that. I hated the feeling of that. And I also hated the feeling of, of taking direction from someone that I didn't respect to do something that I truly wasn't passionate about. I don't have an issue taking direction from somebody if it's for something that I agree with and I'm into. But when it's just, it's not my dream and not my vision, like I'm not the guy for that kind of job. Um, so I think there's this combination of one learning at a very early point that like, if I wanted to get things done, I was better off figuring out how to do it myself. Um, or at least creating projects myself where I could manage it and, and work with or, or manage the people instead of vice versa. Um, and I don't know, I guess like my mom would tell you that when you go back to me as a kid, going to these like, you know, group play dates when we were, you know, when I was like a really little kid where, you know, you'd go to the, like the, the kid gym and everybody would be playing with the big parachute. Like you'd have 30 kids playing with the parachute. And she said that I would just be on my own, like, you know, playing with Legos or connects or doing something that was, you know, uh, more solitary. And, um, my mom also, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but at, at a young age, like she, made me do things on my own. Like if I needed to, uh, if I wanted to go to a friend's house for, you know, to hang out, you know, she wouldn't call the friend's mother or dad and say, Hey, Matt wants to come hang. Let's set a date. She'd be like, get on the phone. You call, you call, you know, Andrew's mom or you call whoever's dad and you set up the meeting and you figure it all out. You know, I'll drive you, but you make the plan. And man, if I ever have kids, I'm going to make them do that. What a great idea. She made me do it for everything. Like, oh, yeah. you, oh, you don't feel well? You're staying home from school today? You're calling the doctor. You know what I mean? Like, you, Take responsibility. Like, own it. Yeah, because one day when I'm, you know, the, the ripe age of 34, which I am now, if I get sick, I'm not going to call my mom. Mom, I'm sick. Call the doctor for me. I got to do it myself. And the more practice I have doing that, even from a very young age, the easier it is. And you know what's funny? Just as a side note, it's like, I hear people now, I'm sure you know people like this, you'll be with someone and they'll need to, they'll need to make like a service call for like, I don't know, their cable company or they need to make a doctor's appointment or they're calling for customer service of some point or, some point or whatever <laughs> it is. And it's just like, I watch people do that and just they they don't know how to make those phone calls. And I, I know that yeah, sounds really bad. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Like some sometimes I end up uh, getting so angry and uncomfortable watching people try to do that stuff and not know how that I'll do it for them. Totally. Because it's like, how do you not know how to book a plane ticket? Like, what what is... Pre, press one. <laughs> say, say the date. The city. What date do you want to come back? Okay. Cool. Uh, what time do you want to leave? Credit card number. Uh, like, what? what is so hard about that? Well, you know what it is? It's, it's this thing, and it's like this theory of the first person that answers the phone isn't the person that you should you know, air your grievance to. And that's what I see happen all the time. It's like somebody answers this call, and whoever I'm with just blurts out all the stuff that's going on. And then that person goes, okay, well, I'm actually just the, the patch person. So let me patch you through to someone who actually can help you. And you've just spent 
three minutes, four minutes, ten minutes telling your whole spiel, and this person doesn't give a fuck and you've just wasted their time and you've wasted your own breath. It's like get on these calls and go, hi, I have a question about X. Who is the right person to talk to? You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> maybe that shows my my asshole side, but no. but it's no because you just want to help them do a better job getting through these automated phone systems. There you go. And my, well, my mom have you is, ever, my mom is the reason why I can do that. You know, have you ever uh, had a friend or dated someone who was so inept at the phone systems or dealing with? those phone calls that like it would ruin their entire day for judge for something like that. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I know some pretty unhinged people that it really throws them off, but you know, those are the kind of people that I pat on the head and I say, Oh, you're cute. You know, like it's just, they're, they're not, they're good at some things, but most of the time it's just like, you know, they're, they're like your cute friend who can't get out of their own way. Yeah, it's <laughs> I I don't I don't get it, but I I do think that your mom is a brilliant person. I don't know your mom, but uh, well, thank you. That that sounds like one of the smartest parenting things I've heard of um, in a long time. And I was this is something I've been thinking about lately. I don't know why. I've never really thought about having kids until very recently. It just kind of dawned on me that I might one day do it. Um, and I was thinking. Well, I'm trying to be a successful person, and if I continue on this path, odds are that my kids will be growing up in a good situation. How do I make sure that they don't become assholes? How do I make sure that like they're not uh, spoiled? I don't want to like I want them to have the best of everything, but uh, I also don't you know I don't want them to not appreciate things. I don't want them to not have work ethic. How do I keep them from becoming those kids that I hated growing up? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the uh, the friends of mine who had more money than me who are complete losers because uh, they were never pushed right. in life to do anything. And that right there sounds like one of the best ideas ever. Is just make your kid do those things. Yeah, you know, and I think it has to do with who you are as a person and as a parent, you know, if, if as a parent, you've been through a lot of shit to achieve your success, hopefully you never lose that grounding and that level head that you needed to get to where you are now. And hopefully you always know that there's way more to do and way further to climb, you know, and I think that's most entrepreneurs that I, that I know that I think are great people as successful as they may be, as much money as they may have accrued over the years and, and, and as, as many crazy things as they've done, so many of these people you would never know. Like they're just humble and they understand how to stretch a dollar and they understand how to teach their kids how to be just good people. Money and what you have and your, uh, your lifestyle should never ever be the reason or not to why you raise a kid to be a shithead. Like you're no matter who it is, you should raise your children to be respectful and considerate of others and 
I think, okay. Completely agree. So like, think of it this way, right? How long has it taken me or you to become self-aware and how much more self-awareness is there to be open to, to learning about, right? So when I... Well, well, the, the interesting is that every year I think I'm so much more self-aware than the previous year and then I grow up a little more and I'm like, God, I didn't know shit. To- exactly. And that that, in, that was the point I was going to make was yeah. that in and of itself is so humbling. And what I... I don't have kids myself, um, but it's, you know, it's something that, I've, of course, I've thought of as well. And it's like... Shit, if I ever have a child, I am going to share all of these self-awareness lessons with them. And I'm going to explain to them very clearly how to just be real. And I'm going to explain to them the value of a dollar, but that that's not what ends up being the thing that should make you happy. And just, you know, common sense shit that I think a lot of parents just, I don't know why, they just don't teach it. It's hard. It's a I, look. I don't have kids, so I can't say that it's uh, a walk in the park. In fact, I know that it's an extremely hard job to be a parent. So when I get there, hopefully <laughs> my kids don't turn out like shitheads. But I'll tell you, I'm going to do everything I can to have them understand that they are strong individuals, that they are capable of doing things themselves, that they should have self-worth and they should have self-awareness and they should follow their, their dreams and goals, but be realistic about those things. And I think when you're teaching your child that kind of lesson, there's then things that you think about when you're not physically teaching that you need to instill as well silently, like letting them figure things out for themselves, letting them fail, letting them fall down and get back up on their own. As much as you want to help them, you got to let them fuck up, right? And I think that's part of it as well. So when you were a kid, um, were you encouraged to follow your dreams? Like how did how did that play into your childhood? Always. Dude, my, or teenage. Yeah, my parents were so supportive of me being a drummer. I mean, they, they saw an aptitude towards it and then that was it. They just supported it. And if, and I kept going. And, and, you know, anything I wanted to do, they would get behind. Ma, I want to try lacrosse. Mom, I want to try to play hockey. I want to play football. I want to play baseball. They do. They would be like, okay, cool. If you're really into this, let's try it. The only thing that really stuck was drumming, funny enough, but they were still willing to let me explore these other areas in case I found something else that I love to do. Um, in some ways, they got lucky because the first thing that they really supported and allowed me to do ended up being the, the thing that lasted and is still lasting the longest, you know? The, now, do you, uh, do you have lots of friends, because I do, who's... Uh parents didn't support their vision for what they wanted to do, who somehow managed to, to still stick it out. I, I, I've, uh, I've always uh, admired my friends who I admire all my friends who do, you know, live a lifestyle by design and accomplish great things. But I've always wondered what it would be like to not, not have that kind of support. Um, so I feel like saying kudos to everyone who didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I had that support for sure. And it did so much for me. So, uh, you know, I, I grew up around a musician dad in a musical family. He did music for a living and 
they weren't crazy about metal uh that you know they weren't too happy about that he's a classical musician but they still supported me um and supported me getting a guitar and whatever creative thing i wanted to do they supported and more than anything uh the fact that i grew up into a family where he was making a really good living as a musician from my birth you know like it just seemed real to me it didn't there wasn't this question like I saw in other families of like, well, son, you got to do something realistic, you know? Yeah. Got to have the backup plan. Yeah. It was just, it just, it was in my DNA that you could do something like this because all my dad's friends were doing it. There's my whole life was around these kinds of people. So uh, I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, Likewise. Likewise, but you know, just to, to chime in real quick, like I do have friends that, who you know, who had parents that didn't support them in this stuff, and that kind of situation builds another type of character, I think, because the ones that truly had the passion for music, and the drive to achieve it no matter what, they did whatever they had to do to get out on their own and do it. I, I mean, there's someone very close to me who left his family to pursue music because that meant more to him and they didn't support it. So, I mean, and you can imagine what kind of character that builds in somebody. So, um, I think, I think both ways have benefits, you know? Yeah. The, the, my friends who have had to, you know, fight for it like that, they're like beasts. Oh yeah. Basically. Oh yeah. Agreed. Uh, (laughs) Agreed. So I've got some questions here from our listeners for you. Okay, cool. Um, the they were very very excited when I uh, announced that you were coming on. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm going to try to avoid the ones that you've probably already been asked a million times. Okay. Um. So here's one from Andre Six. Uh, and he said, "Well, here's three from Andre Six. Uh, number one, what's the most important business lesson you learned from BandHappy.com? I was really bummed." To see it closed. Uh, most important business lesson, I think, yeah. was probably rooted in some way in failure. It was a really, really huge project of mine that I put many, many years of work into, and um, it's you know it doesn't exist anymore. However, I learned about how valuable failure can be because the lessons that I took away from it, the experiences that I had, the relationships that I was able to build are still things that I, I mean, I use them every day and it's actually allowed me to get up and running with newer things way faster and way more successfully. So, um, just, it was, it was the reinforcement of what my grandfather taught me was the, you know, the failure of that business was like the, you know, it was like the proof in the pudding, so to speak. So this is for me. Yeah. I, I'm curious. When it uh when it, the day came that you're done with it, like mm-hmm. that it I I mean I'm sure it was a process. It's always a process. Sure. But like when it's finally over, um, and you're in the okay, I gotta pick myself back up period. How long did you give yourself? How long did it take? Was there any, like, at least a little bit of a, like, a grieving period or a mourning period? Like, or were you just, like, on to the next thing next day? Like, 
You know, like anything that people are afraid of, the mourning and the grieving period usually happens before anything bad or the failure itself actually occurs. Like you build this thing up in your mind and you feel all the feelings that you could feel if it fails because a lot of people, you know, get anxiety and they get scared of things and they, they you know, they, they give themselves those feelings. Like the, the human mind is incredible. And if you imagine all these things happening, you can feel sick and your stomach can drop and you feel the embarrassment. I think I went through all of that stuff as I was realizing that it might end. And that this is what would happen to some degree if it ended. But I went through that so quickly. And then I got into the mode of like, okay, this probably will end. Do I really give a fuck about all those things? No. Am I really going to feel those things? Probably not. What did I learn from this? And what can I do to make this ending the best that it can be? And that was really what I did was I looked at all my options and I said, this is the best direction. Here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to waste any time. As soon as I announce that this is done, that's just the announcement. It will have already been done and I'll have already been on to the next thing. You know what I mean? So hopefully that makes yep. sense. Hopefully that makes sense. You know, it's interesting that uh, that's actually very similar to advice that I give and a technique that I use for overcoming fear of doing something the you know the kind of fear that we were talking about earlier in in this conversation about that a lot of people have about taking risks is I do a guided not guided but I do a a very conscious visualization um of everything that could go wrong if it fails mm-hmm. like like the what's the worst that can happen um, and I try to I try to really play that out in my in my mind and hear everything that I would hear and see everything that I would see and try to create those feelings and really like try to get creative and and like go through it as much as I can and then ask myself is it really that bad like so if that happens like is it really going to be even as bad as I imagined yeah and. If it's as bad as I imagine, is it really that bad? Like, really? Yeah. And usually it's like, nah, just do it. Yeah. It'll be fine. Totally. I, you know, it's funny. I, like, I went through those thoughts earlier today about something in my personal life. I was like, okay, if X happens, how does it play out? What are the scenarios? Who are the people involved? What's their scenario? How do we all come together? And is it really that bad of a thing. Um, and it's like, you know, when I did that exercise, it was like, no, it's not that bad. So, okay, now I don't need to feel the anxiety. I don't need to feel the nervousness. And if I do, I just remind myself that I've thought through it and I've figured it out. And that's, I mean, look, that's exactly what I did with the whole band happy thing. Dude, I I knew that, you know, it was headed in this direction and I had to make a very clear decision for which path I wanted to take. And I weighed the options of both sides, and I felt the feelings of both sides. And by the time that I actually made the decision, you know what's funny is there, like the degree of negative feelings that I felt were just like minuscule. Like they were tiny, tiny compared to what I imagined and built up in my head that it would be. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened in my life. 
like just over and over. I think uh, in a Steven Seagal movie, <laughs> I forget which Steven Seagal movie. There's Assumptions a, are the mother of all fuck ups. Is that what you're gonna say? No, no. Oh. Anticipation of death is worse than death itself. Where he's uh, chasing the last bad guy like through some mansion. I forget oh, which movie it's, it's it is. It's hard to kill, isn't it? Hard to kill. Yeah, and he draws it on the toilet. Right. So the dude finds it in the toilet. Yeah. Uh, um, anticipation of death is worse than death yeah, itself. Yeah, that's the one where he puts the gun in the dude's mouth and like walks him downstairs and doesn't actually kill him. Like he, he gets arrested. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's all. He like knocks his teeth out. <laughs> that's a great, <laughs> yep. great movie, by the way. Hard to Kill is awesome. Man, the uh, people who haven't seen Steven Seagal at his prime, those movies, are missing out. That was a good part of childhood. Oh, yeah, dude, he was so sick. And my dad is is a martial arts guy, and he always respected Steven Seagal because he was like, he, he always said that he was the real deal, you know? Same here. That's my, my dad was also a martial arts guy. He also, like, he called everybody else dancers. Yep. Like, he thought John Claude Van Damme was, was a just dancer. like a, a, yeah, he, a dancer. Yeah, he was yeah. a dancer, exactly. That's so funny. And the Steven Seagal was the real thing. Yep. My dad verbatim said the same shit. That's hilarious. Yep. Yeah. Mark for death, uh, out for justice. Yep. All, all great movies. All great movies. So here's one from uh, Mike Nolan. Okay. Which is, when you're in the studio, is there any difference to the way you play versus... Uh, how you play live, and do you focus on hitting certain drums harder, or play with a less relaxed technique to get different sounds? To be honest, not really. Like, I, I don't think you should put more emphasis on one or the other because it's a performance either way, and you need to perform the best you can no matter what the setting is. I think the biggest difference is it just there's not an audience in the studio, so. I look at myself as the audience and I listen more intently to what I'm playing so that if I do hear something that I don't like, I can quickly stop and do a retake. And that's the beauty of being in a studio is that you can, you can fuck up and redo it. Whereas live, there's actually way more pressure because you have an audience and you can't stop and redo it. Um, so therefore, I guess there's pressures to both scenarios but that's why you should just have the same game plan no matter what you're doing. Just be yourself, play the best you can, prepare for the studio just like you would prepare for a live gig, and you'll do fine. I don't know. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, kind of along the same lines, here's one from Dave Vole. What would you suggest for drummers to not only play harder and more consistently in the studio, but to keep up their energy? Maybe to get your workout program? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, you know, the the um, the the catchphrase, so to speak, that we're using for this program that I'm putting out, the program's called 4-6. Um, and the catchphrase is, what's your sport? And my sport is drumming. So in order to be the best drummer I can be, I have to train, I have to practice, but I also have to physically be fit for my performances, right? So the kind of workouts that I do every day allow me to have insane levels of endurance. I work out on tour hours before my set so that I get my heart rate up and I sweat and I breathe heavy before I ever get on stage so that when I get on stage, I'm relaxed, my breathing is calm, I barely break a sweat unless I like want to. Um, you know, I, I control my body 
much better by staying fit and active all the time. That's one way. But in general, in the studio, I mean, look, playing harder isn't really the goal. Playing louder isn't really the goal. Playing consistent is the goal. So you have to practice working on your dynamics in conjunction with working on your groove. And I don't mean just like groove as in bobbing your head. I mean, groove to me is a much bigger picture idea. It's how your personal experiences, inspiration, and your physical build come together to create your sound on the drums. That's what groove is. So if you use your own sense of groove and focus on consistently hitting the drums at varying and consistent dynamic levels, then you can get better playing live and in the studio. And it's not about playing harder or softer. It's about, again, consistency with your groove. Hopefully that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, this one's from Alex Johnson, which is, is there anything special you do or tell yourself to get your head in the right frame of mind before tracking? And just uh, let me just tell you that our community uh, is basically a recording and mixing community. That's why sure. a lot of these are recording. We, we do a lot of, we do talk a lot of entrepreneurship and uh, business side of it too, but it's all primarily from the frame of recording. So that's why these are recording questions. But yeah, is there anything that you uh, tell yourself to get in the in the mode or any ritual you go through? Not really. I mean, it, when I'm in the studio working, I'm just in work mode. So I just want to work. I want to I want to I want to get in there and track. I want to do the best job I can. I want to you know, I want to think about the part that I'm about to record and really understand it mentally so that I can execute it physically. Um, but again, that's the same kind of thing, the same principle that I would apply to performing a, a live show. Um, when it's time to work, it's just time to work. And I just get in the zone and I go, I don't, I don't hype myself up or get pumped up. Like, you know, I just kind of, I know it's time to work, especially like, you know, we were talking about before having a schedule. When I go into the studio, usually it is on a schedule, you know, you're paying for time. Um, you know, a lot of times tracking drums specifically, you're paying for time because I let, you know, my band and for GGD, we like to record in specific drum rooms. We have to rent those rooms. So I, I have to just respect that and let that dictate my inspiration, not what I was saying before. You know, like when it's time to work, it's time to work. And I just stay in that mindset because the schedule forces me to be there. You know? Mm hmm. Absolutely. Um, Here's one, and uh, I guess uh, this is assuming that you've had, you know anything about this or not. I don't know, but I'm going to ask anyways, because in case you do, okay. it would be good to uh, good to put it out there. From Robin Lejean, um is asking, what would you recommend for types of wrist training or play style for a person who has huge wrist problems like carpal tunnel? I can't play drums for longer than 10 minutes before I have my wrists burning. You know, it's a that's a really tough scenario, um, tough situation for a drummer. Um, a lot of it has to do with what you do away from the drum set. You know, like w what are you doing with your arms and with your hands when you're not playing? I drums? can tell you. I can tell you what he's doing because okay. he's like our uh, our our top subscriber. Okay, um, he's a, a killer mixer. Okay, and he's spending most of his day 
working on his mixing and obviously sitting at a computer with a mouse. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I would look at getting active uh, or at least more active. You know, maybe it is exercising. Maybe it's just simply not only being in a position where you're holding your hands at your desk and at your keyboard and at your mouse clicking. A lot of times that repetitive motion can sort of fuse your joints in ways or just create these muscle memories that are hard to, to kind of reset for other motions. So keeping yourself active is good. Um, I know, you know, I can, I can pull it up and maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll send you an email after this. There's, um, there's this thing that one of my drummer buddies uses for his wrists. It's like a ball. Okay. I can't remember what it's called, but I'll look it up. Um, and I'll send you a note if you want to, if you want to share it with this particular listener or with everybody. Sure. Well, what I'll do is, uh, I'll send it to Robin, but also for all of you listening, if you're interested we're going to put this in the link to the show notes on our on our site. So just uh, go to the the show notes for this episode, and uh, you will find the link. But uh, I would say too. I mean, I don't know if he's ever taken drum lessons, but it would be very very smart to seek out a specific teacher that specializes in technique for this purpose, and to have them really look at their, to, ha- to have them look at his technique and, and figure out what he's doing wrong, where there's room for improvement, where he might be tensing up and using muscles that don't need to be engaged. Um, there's also a great book out there called The Anatomy of Drumming, which discusses the physical you know movements in the human body and how it relates to drumming. And that's a very, very good book for any drummers that want to learn more about how to utilize the movements and, and so forth that are required physically for drumming. Okay, great. Um, here's one from Jake Oninger, which is, this probably isn't relevant, but since Matt is a damn hard worker at his craft, I would ask, how would I go about motivating my drummer to take practicing on his own more seriously? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's a very personal thing. Um, the people that I know that practice hours and hours and hours and hours a day, who are usually pretty amazing drummers, they're just obsessed with drumming. They're obsessed with practice. They love it because that that's what fuels them. That is what spi- inspires them. Um, yeah, I doubt anyone had to motivate them. No. You know, I, I think of my, my good friend Matt Garska from Animals as Leaders. I mean, that dude practices a ton. But it's not because he's like, you know, freaking out about practicing. He's he loves it. He, he loves playing the drums. He's obsessed with improving. He's obsessed with learning new things um, and understanding what he's doing and being able to take what he can do now and expand it into something else. I mean, that's just an obsession. So you, I don't know if you could force that. Um, and, and I mean that in a great way. Like to, I, don't th- I don't think you can. You know? and, and it makes me think of back when I was in a band. I was in a band with this uh, other guitar player named Emil Wurstler, who's Amazing. He's incredible. Get, incredible. He's one yep. of the best on earth. Yep. And like, uh, I was okay at guitar. I never thought I was that good. Um, but I was okay. I mean, like, it didn't suck, but definitely nowhere near as good as him. And n- never even close. And the thing is, if you look at the two of us, like, I, I was never in love with guitar. I just liked writing. And I like creating projects and, uh, you know, and like doing new things, accomplishing goals. And at that point in my life, it was a lot more musical. But I never had like this obsession for guitar that he did. So if you look at the difference between us, like he would put so much more time into guitar 
But it was not an effort. Like it was not a motivation thing, really. Like it wasn't like, like he had to force himself. That's just what he was obsessed with, as opposed to me, who like I had to, uh, I had to talk myself into it because I was not obsessed with guitar. And I think that that's kind of that's just kind of how it is. Like with the dudes who are gonna like really get somewhere with their instruments, they they it's like a drug to them. Yep. The, the, there if and i almost feel like those of us who aren't obsessed with it it's cool it's not it's not a problem but like it's probably it, it's, you're probably not going to be able to create it in yourself in my opinion i think if you're not if you're not if you don't have that chip that makes you love it in that way it's okay there might be something else that you love more in life yeah yeah i think so too and you know, like you can't you can't force your drummer to like get more serious. You know, yeah. the, the drummer just has to want. You know, they have to want to do it themselves. But exactly, um, there's varying degrees of it. You know, like I'm I kind of fall in the middle. Like when it's time to work, I get to work because I love drumming and I love my job and I love the opportunities that I have. So therefore, it's worth it for me to make drumming a priority. And then, therefore, focus on the priorities with drumming. Like, if I have a certain gig coming or a studio session or a tour, like, I need to practice for the endeavor that I'm about to, to take on, right? Um, which is very different than just getting better at playing polyrhythms for the sake of being good at playing polyrhythms. You know what I mean? So, yeah. if your drummer has priorities and goals that he's working towards or that she's working towards, it's a lot easier to get someone who's not as obsessed with practice to practice because there's a there's a, a milestone to reach or there's a there's a that, specific thing, you know? That's very wise actually. That's actually the way that I uh, got myself to practice over the years was it had but that's also the difference between me and him is uh, I had to have some sort of like a okay, we're doing this record um, I can't look like a fool, so we need to. <laughs> I need to practice or something. Yep. Um, for him, it's just I love guitar. Yeah. This is what I what I, I am guitar incarnate. Totally, totally. But uh, but that is that. That's some good wisdom though. To like, if you if it's not the instrument itself that obsesses you, get obsessed with some some milestone. Yep. Um, here's a one from Bass Peters v Nijenhoff. Uh Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, what's your advice to people who want to start their own company? Know the reason why. That's a great one. Just why are you doing it? And if you have a very clear way to answer that question that's simple and that makes sense, then you can figure everything else out. But make sure it's a good why and make sure it's not a selfish why. That's the that's the key. Now, when you say it's not a selfish why... Uh, let's talk about that for a second because I think I think that like we all like to profit, right? Yeah. So obviously we'd be lying if we say we didn't. So obviously we're not doing what we do for charity. Right. Um we're if you're starting a company, a business, you are trying to make money. Um so how do you differentiate between I guess the the normal need and want for profit uh, versus um, it being a non-selfish endeavor. Like, how do you 
how do you balance those two? Because it's the it's you can't put the cart before the horse. You can't put money in line first before providing value for someone first. That's the differentiator for me. Anything that I go into, of course, I look at the potential, right? I, I say, okay, how much can we earn from this? What's it look like? What are our projections for year one, year two, year three? You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've been through every single different form of this, whether it was like setting up a business for acquisition or setting up a business for investment, or even, you know, like now I don't really have businesses where I'm looking for investment from outside people. So it's all about how can we keep investing in ourselves, right? So money's a big thing, but there's no money if you don't provide a good service or a good product or something that gives value or provides help or provides a solution to other people. And that is the why. Why am I starting this business? I'm starting this business because it's going to positively affect XYZ amounts of people who need this thing in their lives. And in turn, because I'm creating this value for those people, they will pay for this product. They will pay for this service, which allows me to keep servicing these same customers and hopefully new customers. But that's the process in my mind. I 100% agree with your answer. And just uh, I can just say from my own story and uh, from having both big successes and failures that uh, when you figure out the why and the why actually does what Matt said what what when you figure out the why and it really does serve a purpose that helps people with something that they really maybe they didn't know they wanted or needed but that they really do want or need um, and it really does that like really does uh it's almost like giving your your business uh, a propulsion engine as opposed to swimming upstream back, you know, with weights on. Mm-hmm. The difference is dramatic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. Here's one from uh, Charlie Monroe, which is, uh, what piece of advice would you give to someone who's been programming drums for years and would like to actually learn how to play them for real? Uh, start it. Start at ground zero, just like any beginner would. The The benefit is that mentally they probably have a better understanding of what they want to play and, you know, some hopefully more um, complex ideas. But, you know, if you don't have the natural talent to just, you know, think of something and then execute it on the drums physically with the coordination that you need, then you need to start like everybody else, which is you have to learn how to play the basic beats, the basic rudiments, the basic patterns, and build up the physical coordination so that whatever ideas you have can you know flawlessly come out uh, through your limbs. But just because you've been thinking about drums and programming them for a long time doesn't mean that you'll physically be able to play it off the bat. So again, start like everybody else would. Start at the beginning. Learn the basics and go from there. And final question. And uh, this one is from Hannes Bakofner, which is, how do you document your practice? Do you use a practice journal or something along those lines? 
And uh, just for me, uh, it, if you actually do this, um, do do this in other facets of your life too. Yes, I keep a couple different journals. I have a practice journal for drumming where I just kind of make notes about what I'm working on, what I'm good at, what I suck at, where I need to go, and then a wish list of things that I want to improve upon whenever I have time to not focus on drumming priorities that take precedence. So hopefully that makes sense there. Um, but yeah, and then you know I have I have journals for all sorts of things. Like I write down my ideas in my journals. I um, I sometimes do more therapeutic kind of writing in my journals. I sometimes draw in my journals. Um, I use my calendar really in my iPhone to keep myself as organized as I can with meetings or phone calls or things where I'm dealing with other people. But my journals are pretty private and, and as they should be for anyone, you know, it's, it's your own way to communicate with yourself, um, objectively and subjectively, you know? So I think it's, uh, I think journaling in general for practice or for projects or for even writing down the reason why behind something is a great, it's a great uh, tool that you can use, you know? I com- I completely agree. Um, I've been off and on about journaling for years, and I find that whenever I'm good about it, life is better. Like, I do better. Yeah. Um, I my, my ideas come to fruition much faster. I agree. I agree. Because you can, you, can, you can track it much better, you know? It's like, if everything's in your head... It's just it's swimming around there, and it's 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 not clearly laid out in front of you. Um, it's funny. Prior to prior to doing this uh, this interview with you, I was recording an intro to um, episode twelve of of my own podcast, and I had all these things that like you know I wanted to to say. Um, you know, to, to sort of set the episode up and I kept like, you know, trying to wing it with my microphone and just record, record it. And it just didn't work because I had too many things I wanted to say. So what did I do? I wrote it out on paper in like a script, you know, I wrote myself a script, got all my ideas clearly laid out and then I did it and it was such a better experience. And I was saying to myself, God, I should have just done that in the first place. You know, and we know that we should do things like that, but we're just assholes. And, you know, we just, we try to cut corners and it's never good so write it out I, I mean haven't uh, haven't there been actual you know actual smart people like uh, neuroscientists who have determined that you do better the brain does better the subconscious does better when you physically write things down yes like so yeah we're it's not like it's not really up for argument it's just you should do it. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of, I didn't know you had a podcast. Uh, please plug it sure, <laughs> for us. Yeah. And, and we'll include it also in the show notes. Cool, cool. For those of you who want to go check it out. What, what's it called? What's it about? So we, I have a podcast that is called Chocolate Croissants. It's actually at chocolatecroissants.com. Um, the, the, the initial premise uh, was based around me and two of my very good friends. So... You've heard a little bit, a bit about me in this episode. You know my background as far as music and business and, and so forth. Um, I have two very good friends, one of whom is a fitness and nutrition expert, the other whom um, is a licensed therapist who focuses on music therapy and group therapy with all sorts of different people. So um, these 
the, the three of us, you know, these two friends of mine and I would, would get together and have these really, really deep conversations where we were just being honest about different things going on in our lives. And um, we decided that people could potentially get some value out of hearing the stories and maybe draw some good conclusions or find some good morals through our conversations. So we decided to start recording uh, our conversations on a weekly basis. And um, we've done 12 episodes. Our 12th episode comes out tomorrow, which is Monday the... I don't even know what the date is today. Um, Today's the uh, 25th. Okay, so it comes out comes out Monday the 26th. But, uh, you know, it's funny. It's like... Of June. Of June, yeah, sorry. Yes, comes out Monday, June 26th, 2017. But, you know, it's it's funny that we're talking about this now because, you know, when I first put this podcast out, I was absolutely worried in a way and, and somewhat insecure about what people would think of me. I'm not, you know, who am I? I'm not a podcaster. I'm a drummer in a band. I, what do I know about this? And I'm talking about feelings and I'm talking about mental fitness. And we're talking actually a lot about things that we discussed today. We're talking about business. We're talking about, you know, success and failure. We're just going to say your podcast sounds great. Oh, thanks. It's, I mean, it's, it, it's about these bigger picture issues, these bigger picture ideas of how to get over anxiety, how to get over fear, how to face things, how to breathe in situations where, you know, it's really tough. Um, how to deal with, you know, we talked about everything from how to deal with, uh, the loss of a pet to the loss of a family member. And it's been great, but you know, so when we first started this, it was like, look, here's a project we're putting out there. Here's what it's about. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, my partners kind of got a little stuck. Not, and, and I hope they don't mind me saying this. I don't mean this in a bad way, but a little bit caught up in like, well, wait, this is the format. This is what we're doing. We have to release every week at a certain time and it has to be only the three of us. And we have to, have to, have to, have to. And I said to them recently, and, and we've been having a lot of conversations about this recently, wait, no, we don't have to do anything. We can make this whatever we want. We can position this podcast a bunch of different ways. We've provided value. We know what our, our audience so far really can appreciate from this and what they've taken away. But that doesn't mean that we can't experiment and try new things. Um, so... Although this podcast, Chocolate Croissants, has been focused on the three of us and our experiences and our specific expertise or areas of, of expertise, we're actually starting to bring on different guests who can help, you know, sort of, again, get those same morals and those same overarching ideas across through their individual stories. And then the three of us can sort of relate to them in our specific areas of expertise as well. So point is... I put out this thing. It's a podcast. I didn't know what it was going to be. I was worried about what people would think. You get over that pretty quickly. You manage expectations. You communicate with your audience. And the goal should be that you should be able to do whatever you want with it without the fear of what others might think. And that's one of the lessons that I, we talk about in the podcast and one of the lessons that I've personally had to sort of, or I should say one of the experiences I've gone through in making this podcast. So I know I've said this a bunch, but hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> I've got three things to say. Okay. Number one, if uh, you know, if you guys ever have a guest that cancels on you and you don't know who to put on, I'd be happy to come on. Uh, cool. Number two, num number two, uh, the beauty of podcasting is that it's not radio and you don't have to do anything. You don't want to, and it doesn't, have to be any format that's that's what makes it 
superior to radio in lots of ways. Sure. And that's lots of radio hosts who moved off of radio to podcasting say that about it. Like, you know, famous guys like Adam Carolla or whatever who now are podcasters. Like, that's what they love about the move to the format. And uh, number three, I can tell you we're, what, like a hundred and... 40-ish episodes in at this point. And it started with me, Joey, and Joel. Um, they're still my co-hosts on the podcast. But when it started, we had a format, and it was very specific. And we went, like, every show kind of had the same structure, and we had the same shows every month. And after a while, to it, you know, it kind of started to get stale, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um and we just started doing new things. Like, I started doing episodes solo. Like, I started doing episodes where just the guest would be talking by themselves for an hour. Um, but, you know, it was tied into something on a previous episode, maybe. Like, we started doing all kinds of different things. And uh, it really breathed new life into the podcast and has kept it going now into our third year and growing and still fun and uh, and just a great thing and I feel like if we had stuck to that original format I, I might have quit already yeah I hear you I hear you that's exactly it and that's that's a, that's really encouraging to hear um, because that was exactly my my standpoint on this was like Let's not stay with just this one thing. Let's not set these rules and put ourselves in these in, in these boundaries so that we can only do one thing. I mean, a podcast can be whatever we want it to be. And <clears throat> the way I look at it is it's like when you're creating music, you know? You don't write your songs for other people, you write it for yourself. And yep. other people are either going to like it or they're not, and hopefully the people that have been listening to the Chocolate Croissants podcast or the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast for the amount of time that it's been going are going to like what we do and they're going to be willing to go on the journey with us, right? But if not, that's okay. They can get off at any time and then create more space for somebody else who wants to come on and get on board right now and see where it's at and then go back and explore the previous format and just see the the evolution of it, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it, but it should be open to that, right? You should be able to just evolve just like you should as a person, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it, it almost goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode about, you know, what do you see for the future? That question I asked, and you were talking about how we're talking about gatekeepers being gone and people being able to take the you know, take the power now for themselves. And I think that the, uh, I mean, podcasts have been around for a while, but in the past five years, they've really kind of become a kind of a mainstream, they've had gotten mainstream recognition. They've become a big thing. Oh yeah. And I think that, that that's a product of the times that we live in with, uh, with the, with the fact that the gatekeepers are going away and that you can now choose who you want to be in front of the public so much easier than before. This is, this medium being so big is a, a symptom of that. It's a symptom of the times that we live in. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's a great 
format. And it's funny, it has been around for a while. It used to be that podcasts were like looked at the way that like really bad college radio was looked at, like with like so boring that you could, you know, watch paint peel or dry and that would be more interesting. Um, but now it's like there's so many amazing podcasts. It's such a great I, I love it. I can't speak highly enough about the uh, the medium. Yeah, I agree. It's it. I, w- I was very ignorant to it for a long time, and <clears throat> now as I've gotten more and more into it, I see so much value in hearing stories from people and their takes, and it's just so relatable for everybody. Like you can relate to someone on some podcast, and it's going to make sense for your life. And I don't know where else you can find that sort of raw uninhibited content at your fingertips. I feel like not even YouTube. No, it no. no. It's, it's it's just a it's a different thing. Audio audio yeah. allows for you to to not worry about what you look like or what someone sees and it allows you to really tell good stories and that's what it's about. You know, the the stories hopefully provide value for people. That's the goal. It's funny by the way, I had the same exact fears when we started this podcast, the uh, the imposter syndrome fears, yep. um, I, I definitely had those at first. Like, um, but but I got over it. Um, though I feel like imposter syndrome. Lots of entrepreneurs have it, from what I understand. And I feel like imposter syndrome is it's not fun. Doesn't feel good. But uh, it. I think that there's there's something positive to it because it keeps you honest. It like keeps you striving to, to improve if you, if you have that kind of feeling. But I had those fears too. And, um, I realized that who am I to judge? If, uh, if people want to listen, they're going to listen. And, uh, it's up to them. It's not up to me if I'm qualified to do this or not. It's up to the listeners to decide if they like what I've got to say and what the podcast has to say. And uh, obviously they do, so we're going to keep going. There you go. Just have to be yourself, right? Yeah. That's the key. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Be, your, be yourself and, uh, it, and stay consistent. I think that that's also another rule that I've kind of figured out about podcasting is that consistency is very important. Consi- like, keep it real keep it consistent yep and uh and yeah well matt thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure i'm glad that we finally got to connect and uh we've been you know been exchanging emails and stuff over the years and all that but uh like we said before we're part of a very small community of kind of like-minded people like almost like a community within a community it's always good to and inspiring to meet someone else that I uh, that I look up to and just thank you again for taking an hour and a half out of your day to talk to me and to our audience and you're welcome back anytime thank you yeah it was it was a lot of fun this is great um, great questions great topics and um, it's very nice to be on the same page with you especially as you say after all these years of, of going back and forth and you know we've we've met in person a handful of times but um, I definitely feel closer to you after this talk. So kudos to that. (laughs) 
Likewise, man. Cool. That's awesome. Well, have, have a good Sunday. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Drumforge. Drumforge is a forward-thinking developer of audio tools and software for musicians and producers alike, founded on the idea that great drum sound should be obtainable for everyone. We focus on your originality. Drumforge, it's your sound. Go to drumforge.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit nailthemix.com slash podcast and subscribe today.